What is happening with charitable giving right now in the heart of the COVID-19 pandemic? Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Lori Parlberg. Dr. Parlberg holds the Mott Chair in Community Philanthropy at the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy, where she's leading an interesting, intriguing, very useful right now project uh, related to community philanthropy that's happening amidst the pandemic. And Lori, thanks so much for being back with us on this podcast. How, as we get started and before we dive into some of the findings, how would you describe this research project for our audience? Bill, thank you very much for having me and letting me talk about our project. So we've got a research team here at the Lilly Family School Philanthropy, IUPUI, and then a colleague at Ohio State University. And we have been tracking the emergence of COVID-19 specific funds that are managed by community philanthropic organizations, both United Ways and community foundations. And we've been mapping where they're arising, what organizations are hosting them, the dollars in, so funds raised to these different funds, uh, finances committed, as well as the grants made from these funds. So we've been tracking this data, scraping it for a variety of resources that are available on the web to try to get a count and a picture of these funds. In addition, we've also been trying to capture the stories. Uh, what's the mission of these funds? What values are they articulating? And then um, some of the background stories of what's going on on the ground, sort of the boots on the ground of how these funds are working. Uh, what are some of your early findings? How many funds have you discovered? What are some of the dollar amounts being raised? And how are these dollars being utilized? Oh, okay. So, right, as an academic, I always have to say, well, it's an estimate. It's, it's a moving target. But right now, we've identified at least 1,020 organizations. And I think by the end of the day, that's actually going to change as we redo our data analysis, it's going to increase a little bit, but 1,020 organizations are hosting funds. And approximately 254 of these are clearly joint funds where they seem to be co-managed by United Ways and community foundations. Now, when you talk about dollars, this gets really hard, but we estimate that these funds have raised approximately $949 million by the end of May and made grants from these funds to approximately $545 million. So given away almost two thirds of the dollars raised by the end of May. Lori, do we know where these grants are going uh, as we think about what's happening now amidst the pandemic? Uh, yes and no. We've got descriptions of how community uh, philanthropic organizations are prioritizing the funds. We're beginning to collect grant data, but we haven't analyzed it. But let me tell you some of the things that seem to be a priority. At the very first stage, um, food insecurity for financially vulnerable organizations, clear priority, as well as emergency relief for nonprofit organizations that had lost fundraising events or had to shut their offices. So the first set of response was clearly just responding to crisis and emergency. As we move forward, some of the funds um, are focusing on recovery. And so they're shifting slightly and some of them have gone to things such as um, the next phase in online learning. 
uh, educational organizations, trying to get, uh, for instance, child care centers up and running again. And now we even have some communities that are very proactive and actually talking about being more resilient and working with their organizations to be resilient for the next crisis and the next phase of COVID-19. So we're actually, just like much of the talk in the media, is we're actually seeing um, emphasis in phases, response, recovery, and then creating resilient systems. More than 1,000 funds across the United States identified thus far, nearly $1 billion raised identified thus far. About two thirds of those dollars have been granted out, first in terms of immediate need, and now as Dr. Parlberg explained, recovery, and then long-term resilience. Uh, and Lori, I know one of the other findings here, you mentioned about a fourth of these funds uh, have uh, occurred through collaboration between United Ways and community foundations. And the grant recipients, the fundraisers we talked to at the fundraising school, are telling us they're being told to collaborate. They're being encouraged to collaborate with other nonprofits. It seems in this case, many of the United Ways and community foundations are leading by example. What have you seen through this study thus far in terms of the United Ways and community foundations that are collaborating? So I think we really have three distinct forms of collaboration that we're seeing. The first is what I mentioned is these funds that appear truly to be joint funds where they are co-marketing them together and housing them together um, and taking different roles in perhaps uh, making decisions about grants, but they really appear to be co-led. The second time, type of collaboration we're seeing is one particular organization is holding the fund, and another organization is making a grant to the fund. So for instance, if we go to Modesto, California, Stanislaus Community Foundation there directed all the initial giving to the local United Way. Mm. Um, so a different type of arrangement rather than joint management. And then what's really exciting to see is not only are we seeing this around funds, but we're seeing it around different types of leadership initiatives in the community. Mm. Um, so let me give you a really interesting example from Texas. Yeah. Yeah, let's go down to Brownsville, Texas. So there, the community foundation immediately realized that one of their needs was food. Uh, they, the nearest food bank was an hour away, and they normally made deliveries into the community once a week. That wasn't going to suffice. So they sought funding from their community foundation, who made a grant, and then they pulled together other actors in the community, including the regional food bank, churches, as well as um, the city, to be able to man local food pantries, food distribution sites on an almost daily basis. So there we see a great example of the United Way mobilizing the community. So fundraising and mobilization, really great examples of working together. Lori, as you lead our school through the Mott Chair on Community Philanthropy, you have national, international expertise uh, looking at community-based philanthropy, especially through community foundations in United Ways. Based on what you're discovering, the knowledge that you're uh, revealing here, how similar is this to how community foundations in United Ways have worked in the past? Or are some of these behaviors new to this field compared to what you've seen throughout your research? Well, that's a really great question because this project on COVID-19 was actually 
um, came about only because we had had another project already in the field where we were mapping the landscape of community philanthropy. So we were already doing that. And one of the questions of that project is, are United Ways and community foundations working together and how do they build effective relationships? So we were asking that question. And the interesting thing that we found through that research is that overwhelmingly, United Ways and community foundations uh, think that the relationship with their the other entity in the community is positive, cordial, supportive. However, only about 20% when we surveyed them suggested that they were actually in a partnership. So mm. what we're really fascinated about, if that's the case, if we don't have active partnerships already, to what extent um, are these part, the new partnerships that we see arising around COVID-19, are they gonna be sustained? Or are they just a one-time thing? Are they gonna form the basis for a larger initiative? Because sometimes crisis can breed relationships. Um, so it's really interesting for us and we're gonna be tackling this later in the summer as to what fostered these partnerships to arise so quickly and then think about how can we help sustain them? Laurie, as we conclude here, we always want to make sure we have practical advice for fundraisers. And so when we think about how these funds have come together, either individually through a community foundation or a united way, or about one fourth of the time as they partner and collaborate together, uh, I'm also thinking about the stages that you have seen where the immediate need was met. And then, you know, the arts organizations, for example, were saying, we get it, people are hungry, we need to support the food banks. But you're seeing now this issue of recovery, and you mentioned childcare centers, for example, and then resilience, you know, the, the other subsectors beyond the human needs are going to be saying, hey, we want to be here for the long haul. Uh, I'm just curious, as, as these data continue to come in, as the knowledge is developed, what advice do you have for fundraisers uh, as they're looking to get through, you know, the rest of this year and planning for their future fundraising based on what you're learning through this work? Oh, gosh. Okay. So this is a hard question for me, right? Because I'm not a fundraiser. I watch fundraising. <laughs> So I'm going to do my best that I can on this question for you, Bill. So I think there are a couple of things that um, we're thinking about, particularly in the community philanthropic responses. We saw huge, quick outpouring, right, where uh, communities really came together very quickly around COVID-19. So one of the questions that we're uh, thinking about is how do we stay engaged with donors? Because we all anticipate that in the fall, or early winter, we're gonna see a next spike. So the question is, how do we stay in contact with donors without burning donors out? Uh, because as we can see, the funds are going out pretty quickly and we anticipate this initial round of funds are gonna be going out. And so um, the question is, how do we stay in contact with donors um, in a way that's appropriate and meaningful and doesn't burn them out? Uh, the second question that we're also thinking about is transparency. So donors have been very generous during this period of time, and we're only tracking the response of community foundations and United Ways, but it really is very heartening when we see so more, many organizations being very open about when they distributed funds and to what causes. And so I think that that's increasingly important for donors. And we hear about that, well, we've learned that lesson in many disasters, haven't we? Where the dollars came in and how they went out. And I think we're seeing that in this case, that we're seeing money come in quickly, going out quickly, and then being accountable. So for me right now, I think that those are the two big questions is how to stay engaged with donors 
in a way that doesn't burn them out, and how to be accountable and transparent during this time period. Lori, how do fundraisers stay engaged with this research? How can they stay in touch as this study has some initial findings and then will continue organically as the months go along? Sure, so the Lilly Family School of Research, uh, the, our research department is launching actually a global website that is tracking the philanthropic response to the pandemic globally. And so we're a piece of that. And probably within a couple of weeks, we're hoping early July on the Universe R uh, school website, we're actually going to see a global philanthropy tracking. And so stay tuned, check out the website, and you're going to see an interactive map of this local response. And again, that web address is philanthropy.iupui.edu. When you land on our homepage, there's a toolbar across the top. You'll see the word research and all of our school's research available free of charge, including this study, for you to stay in touch. And you need to stay in touch. This is not a one-time snapshot. Dr. Parlberg and her colleagues are going to continue to study what's happening again as philanthropy we see now is moving from immediate response to recovery to resilience. And that is real-time data and information that fundraisers need to know. And Dr. Parlberg, I will just offer a gentle correction. You may not be a frontline fundraiser, but at the fundraising school, we teach that this is a 14-step process. We <laughs> all have our place in that process. And you are informing us. You are giving us good, practical, evidence-based data uh, and strategies that we can use to fundraise effectively. We're so grateful uh, for you sharing your expertise with us here. And again, at the Fundraising School, we want to be your career-long colleague. And as we've said from the moment this all started for us in March, in a world pandemic that is making history, the bad news is there is no playbook. The good news is we get to write the next one and this research study that Dr. Parlberg is uh, leading for us is helping us write that new playbook in this new environment. Now, we have our courses. We're still open for business, most of them online. Uh, later in the fall and early, uh, later summer, early fall, we hope to be back in person in Indianapolis. Stay tuned for that uh, with our website, as long as we can conform to Indiana University, local, state, federal policies, of course. Uh, but then again, so many courses online, and importantly, you can access them with a crisis response scholarship that lowers the cost of our courses by 50%. We have Fridays with the Fundraising School. Once a month, we get together to share best practices, commiserate a little bit, just kind of be together as a community. All of this information, including these podcasts, is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. And when you see the research tab, you'll also see the professional development tab. That's where you're going to find the fundraising school. With Dr. Lori Parlberg, this is Bill Stanjakevich. Now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.